Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Doug Jones from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Hellboy 1 and 2, Hocus Pocus, Pan's Labyrinth, and currently on Falling Skies. But today, you are listening to Genretainment. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. It's episode 108, and we go a little dark and scary with prolific horror author Jeffrey Thomas. Thomas is a finalist for both the Bram Stoker Award and the John W. Campbell Award. We discuss how he became an author, what draws him to horror, sci-fi, and Lovecraftian fiction, the origins of his punk town setting, also the Kickstarter for a punk town comic book anthology, and the punk town role-playing game tips for writing, and much more. Now, before we get started with the interview, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy, and you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, let's get started with our interview with writer Jeffrey Thomas. Well, hi, Jeff. Welcome to Genretainment. Oh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, you are a prolific writer of science fiction and horror with many, many short stories and novels. And you were a 2003 finalist for the Bram Stoker Award for the Best First Novel for, uh, was it Monstrosity? Yes, correct. And a 2008 finalist for the John W. Campbell Award for Deadstock. Mm-hmm. And your popular setting, Punk Town, spans a number of works. So how many novels and short stories do you have published? Oh, my God. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, when people ask me sometimes I ha- I, about my books, I have to go look on Wikipedia to, to remind myself. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. Bag, I just have a bad memory. I have, I've had a lot of books, and, and the reason why it's hard for me to remember exact numbers is because there's been foreign language editions. And also, there's been different states for each book, like a hardcover, a deluxe hardcover, trade paperback. And uh, sometimes these come out, like a digital version might come out years after the, the published version. So it makes me lose track of how many there have been uh, books. But there's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, a lot a lot is a very technical, accurate number. We like that. Yes, that's as scientific as I can get with it. Where did your writing journey begin? Um well, aside from, you know, writing stories when I was a kid that, that kind of just ended up in the closet, I mean, the published stories started happening in the late 80s with small press publications. And at that time, they were like photocopy, dot matrix kind of publications, you know, <laughs> and very crude. But uh, it was very exciting to get a story placed in any one of those. Eventually, they I started getting some attention and and, and I, I placed a story in Gore Zone magazine in like 1990, which was a big deal for me. That was the sister magazine of Fangoria. Mm. Oh, okay. So it was pretty similar, except that they would have a one fiction story every issue. So that was a, a kind of a breakthrough for me. And uh, in the late 90s, after getting published in more and more uh, sophisticated small press magazines, 
I was approached by a few publishers kind of in rapid succession about doing short story collections in book form. And that was exciting. And that's what set it off. And the first one that came out was called Terror Incognita. And uh, that was from um, um, Delirium Books. And right on the heels of that was Punk Town from the Ministry of Whimsy Press, which uh, was owned by Jeff Vandermeer, who's become, you know, an extremely um, well-known writer of late. And from there, it's been one after another. You know, those were, those were the breakthroughs for me, particularly Punk Town, which that was that was kind of a career maker, such as my career is. It's been an exciting journey, and I've and I've uh, most of my books have been published by independent presses, but I've had a few mass market books uh, released as well. Now, most of your books or most of your stories are horror, sci-fi, or, or sci-fi horror type of uh, genre stories. So, so what is it about that genre that that really drew you to it? I, I'm not sure. I just know that as a child that I was very enthusiastic about horror and science fiction. And I would literally ask myself sometimes, what what do I prefer? Do I prefer science fiction? Do I prefer trying to pick a favorite? <laughs> it was like a confusion. It was like chocolate or peanut butter. And, and, and I finally realized that, you know, you could combine these things. And they've been combined all along by Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. That's a science fiction horror story. Yeah. And Lovecraft stories are science fiction horror. It's It's a long tradition. Um, it doesn't have to be either or, but it began as a child with my, with, uh, loving those movies and those old TV shows like Outer Limits was a profound influence on me. And Love Outer Limits. Marcus oh, and I both. My God. If I, if my story, short stories could approximate the feel of the Outer Limits, that would be, uh, the, the goal that I would want to achieve you know so you just need to destroy punk town because that's happened yeah. like, in every other element <laughs> how, how, on, on uh yeah outer limits how many Earth times they blow up, up Earth? <laughs> oh yeah i i worshiped that show as a kid and 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 again it was it, outer limits was an, a science fiction program but it presented those science fiction ideas in a very eerie way mm-hmm. a lot of it had to do with the black and white i think yeah and then well i mean you know later episodes were in color and they still managed to do yeah. that, but I, I think a lot of them were probably more the ones I remember were more heavily sci-fi, I guess. I, I but, never really followed the you know the remake. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know whatever the, the oh they reboot. get caught up. They're good. <laughs> I should check it. In fact, Marks and I were just lamenting about how you just don't have those kinds of lineups anymore. When because at one point um, when we were in college on Saturday night show like late night shows it would be um, they'd show like an episode of. X-Files, an episode of Outer yeah. Limits, an episode of uh, Poltergeist, The Legacy. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it would just be like one cool show right after the other. And there was a show no one else but me saw, apparently, called Nightmare Cafe that I just, I loved. Um, oh, it was wow. just pretty wild. <laughs> sure, sure if I heard of that one myself. Mm, yeah, it was, um, I'm going to watch Forever Has, Night. Uh, England. <laughs> uh, Robert England, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. See if you can find it. We need to see if we can find it. <laughs> it's out there somewhere, I'm sure, still. The, it's, the truth is out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And now, also, a lot of your stories are often uh, kind of lumped into the Lovecraftian subgenre. Subgenre. <laughs> Say that five times. <clears throat> <laughs> when you first kind of fell into that, were you already a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, or you just kind of fall into that and discover H.P. Lovecraft? Were you a fan of happy endings in general? <laughs> <laughs> Uplifting stories of the, uh, the conquering human spirit. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I like a balance between the uplifting and the and the um, utterly depressing. <laughs> I came I, I came into Lovecraft through Stephen King. I I, I read um, his short story Jerusalem's Lot uh, that I guess he wrote when he was very young, and I and I loved it. I thought, boy, this is unlike anything I've read by King. This is like my favorite short story by him. It really really resonated with me. And then when I realized it was a, a, an homage to to uh, Lovecraft, I thought, well, I better check Lovecraft out himself. I was aware of his name, but I'd never read him. And this was like in the mid 80s, I guess. And so I went to the library and got out a book and read a couple of his stories and was and I was just hooked. In the late 80s, I read every story he had written and just fell in love with his work. And so it was around that time that I started experimenting with stories that that incorporated some of his ideas. And I've been writing them on and off since. What is it from that you like to use to to put into it? I mean, it's, besides the tentacles, <laughs> it's not Lovecraft unless there's tentacles. It's uh, it's again, it's he he his stories are what was made him unique. I, I think was uh, that his stories are science fiction. They're not he, he doesn't his stories that aren't don't involve the supernatural. There's a his his gods are are really these just beings that are just beyond us in, in evolution or what have you. And, and there's they're such, such an alien makeup that they're godlike to us. It was just the, his hinting at these vistas beyond our little limited mundane ant-like view of reality and of the cosmos. And so it, it just, they have this cosmic scale. Uh, his stories are called cosmic horror. The idea of other dimensions and so forth, just this scope really a- appealed to me. And was very. It just seemed like a very rich, fertile kind of a area to work in. That that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. So I, I've I've written stories that reference his works, but I've also written s- stories that are try to capture a similar feeling without actually mentioning any of his creatures, his books, his, you know. So I, I guess that's what distinguishes Cthulhu mythos stories from Lovecraftian stories, stories that kind of call to mind Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I try not to, I've written quite a few and I have them collected, most of them collected in one volume called, excuse me, Unholy Dimensions. But I've written a lot of stories for anthologies. I get invited to them. I actually try sometimes to to get away from it because I don't want to be, I I, I want my cake and eat it too. I (laughs) I want to be considered a very good Lovecraftian writer, but I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be only a Lovecraftian writer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what's the point of having a cake if you don't get to eat it? Yeah, I, I think it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I sometimes I think, well, it's time to move on. It's I don't want to be I don't I don't want to become a crutch. I want to be able to continue to flex my own imagination. I don't want to rely too much on somebody else's inventions. But by the same token, the challenge of writing new Cthulhu mythos stories is um, taking those old ideas and putting a, a new and individual kind of spin on them. So there's that also. So I, the, the way I ultimately look at it is I want, you know, if I still continue to do the occasional story for an antho- cool anthology that I'm invited to, I will do so. But um, I'll do the other thing, too. I'll do my entirely or follow my own path as well and try to juggle both both balls and what other others I can throw in the mix. It's easier to juggle one. <laughs> yeah, toss yeah. up now. Two yeah. starts. Just throw know. one up and down. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about your experience with with awards. Tell us a little bit about 
about what each of these awards are, the Bram Stoker Awards and the John W. Campbell Awards are, and your experiences getting nominated. It was it was uh, it was exciting and um, rewarding being nominated. The Bram Stoker Awards is a uh, um, any awards, uh, particularly. There's been a lot of uh, you know there's been a lot of controversy this year, you know, about the Hugo Awards and so forth. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's exciting to be nominated for an award, especially when you're not. You're not pestering people to, to, to vote for you or anything. It, both awards <laughs> were a surprise to me. Both nominations were a surprise to me and very gratifying. Like I said, I didn't pursue votes or anything, and uh, I didn't win those awards. But it was just it was just a great honor being a finalist for them both. Uh, the, the Campbell Award, I think, is especially prestigious. But, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, very rewarding. Yeah, there were no rabid or sad puppies involved in those ones. <laughs> and apparently he didn't go stumping, trying, you know, in different no, ways, I didn't, trying to get... I didn't email a single soul saying, hey, I think you could kind of vote for me. I, I've had people do that to me before, and it's kind of... Do you email Iowa first in that case, or does it really matter? <laughs> <laughs> I just think, you know, it's, it's kind of a little distasteful to, to, yeah. to wave a flag too much and say, hey, you know, I've got this, this story, for, you know, nominated, but... I don't know. Maybe that's the, you know, maybe I should change my outlook on that. <laughs> it's a pretty. It, it would be a little odd, I would think, to yeah. be like, "Hey, go vote for me." <laughs> no, uh, it's for your consideration, and maybe yeah. that's maybe it's okay. Maybe I just uh, uh, I should change my attitude about it. I don't know. Yeah, but still, an honor to get nominated for it. I mean, Heck yeah. Yeah, it surely is. Yes, especially when you weren't actively trying to. Yeah, it was like I said, it was a surprise. It was very nice, very nice surprise. Well, let's talk about the works that were nominated. You had Monstrosity. Can you describe that to our audience? That is a. Uh, it takes place in my world of Punktown, which is a far future city, infamous for its level of crime. It's on another world, colonized by Earth people, but there's all these. It's a melting pot for all these races from all these other planets and dimensions. And in some of the stories, I've incorporated Lovecraftian elements. And not all. I wouldn't want anybody to come into Punktown thinking that the, all the stories are going to have that Lovecraft element. Uh, actually, it's probably the minority of them. However, Monstrosity is one that does. It's a novel. It very much involves the Cthulhu mythos. And uh, I don't drop a lot of names in there, but it's that's the, the feel of that of that novel. Mm-hmm. It was my first published novel, and, that, and that's why it was nominated for the Bram Stoker for the best first novel. Oh, or what's the elevator pitch for it? What's the concept for that book? Really, the concept is is that Punktown, this man comes to believe, the protagonist comes to believe that Punktown is almost a sentient, uh, malevolent intelligence entity in itself, uh, kind of a, um, a zeitgeist. He encounters evil cultists and understands that some kind of a you know the typical kind of a manifestation of some evil monstrosities are going to is going to take place, and uh, and he doesn't know if he's going mad, and he doesn't know if his girlfriend is involved, and and so he he becomes kind of a an un, unwitting investigator into these occurrences. And my friend, fellow writer Joseph Pulver, uh, was kind of like the 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 inspiring force behind this this book. He had started up a, a press called Hive Press. And he asked if I'd write him a novel for that. I had started Monstrosity. He encouraged me to go with it. And and although Hive Press didn't work out, he wasn't able to sustain it. He gave me the inspiration to uh, to finish that novel. So I dedicated it to him. Yeah, he's a very good friend. And it was published by Prime, Prime Books. Mm-hmm. 2000, that was 2000 and, oh God, 2002, I guess, 2003. I forget. 
<laughs> I got to look at Wikipedia again, apparently. Yeah. I think um, it's 2003. That's when it was nominated. Yeah. yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Have you met Jeffrey? <laughs> Hi, Jeffrey. Are we really talking to the real Jeffrey? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> so so what about the other project, Deadstock? What's that about? Deadstock is another Punktown novel. And again, even though I say that, that not all the Punktown stories have a Lovecraftian element, Deadstock is another one that does. <laughs> it, it's not as up in your face as it is in Monstrosity, but it's definitely there. That one, how that came to be was I had been approached by um, imprint of Games Workshop, Black, what was the name of it? These people um, contacted me and they said, we heard about your, your nomination for Monstrosity, and we have the rights to the New Line Cinema franchises, and we want to write a series of new novels inspired by different New Line Cinema franchises. Would you be interested in doing this? And at first I thought, no, you know, I, I do my own thing, you know? And then I thought, like, a, two seconds later, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Of course I, I would, you know? I, my pride went right out the window. <laughs> and so I threw a couple pitches at them. One was for Jason X, which was Friday the 13th in outer space. And I, I came, gave them a pitch for a novel for that and they liked it, but they had already lined up a bunch of those and they wanted to see how that was going to work. So in the meantime, and I, so ultimately they, they, I guess they were glutted with those and they never used my pitch, but I th threw another pitch at them for uh, an original nightmare on Elm street novel and they accepted it and they published it. And I, and that was my first mass market book. And I was thrilled with that. It was so fun to, to work with a, a pop icon like Freddy Krueger. Oh, yeah. So that publisher, Oh my God, what was the name? What's it was an imprint of game workshop. So they were just starting up a new imprint called Solaris books. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, do you think you could write us a punk town story for this imprint? And I was like, Oh, are you kidding me? So that was that became Deadstock, and it's it was a, a great feeling because I I'd never worked like this before. But they wanted me to write a, a chapter by chapter outline before they could green light it. Wow. Uh, characters break down and so forth, and I thought, wow, I don't work like this. I don't work with such a structure. <laughs> and I, I, actually, I, I I had to do this with Nightmare on Elm Street, but also that that book, which is called Dream Deal. And I didn't know if I could even do it. I even thought like maybe I'm gonna have to tell them I can. I don't work. I work more organically. I write it. I, you know, I, at the best I write notes, but I don't write an outline. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I sat down and did it, it was writing. The outline was like writing a story, just a very bare bones story. And then it was kind of fun actually to go back later. And after they, they gave me the green light on it and they said, okay, you know, do it. And then to write the novel based on my outline was kind of, it was, it was fun and a great feeling knowing that as you're writing this book, it's already sold you know it's going to be on the bookshelves. It was just exhilarating. And then the same thing happened with the follow-up, Blue War. But it was really cool because Deadstock uh, and Blue War got a lot of great reviews. And, um, you know, later on, Solaris changed hands. Uh, and, I, and I haven't gotten into the new Solaris, but uh, maybe down the line. What's the synopsis for Deadstock? What's that about? The, the, the protagonist of Deadstock in the follow-up book, Blue War, which is not a, a sequel, but it, it has the same protagonist. The protagonist is na named Jeremy Stake, and he's a private eye. And he's a, he's a mutant. And his particular condition is that he, he can um, – Punktown, I'll, I'll say right now, is, it's, it's a science fiction setting. But I'm, I don't write hard science. 
Uh, it's fantastical. It's it's horror. There are ghosts in Punk Town. You're doing that Lucy Goosey sci-fi like Doctor Who. Lucy Goosey, timey, <laughs> wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yeah, it's, it's fantastical sci-fi. Anything goes, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so Jeremy Stake is a mutant who can change his face to look like anybody's face. All he has to do is look at you long enough. And he and it happens to him even when he doesn't want it to. So he tries not to look at people's faces. Mm. But if he wants to, he can change into some. He can alter his face to look like somebody else. Even you know a woman, an, an alien. If they aren't too, he has limits. He can't. You know, it has to be. He but he can get close. You know, as long as it's physiologically possible. You know, within a certain parameters. So he's the he's the detective and he, a private detective, and he's made this ability work for him. And I use it, not that device, in all different kinds of ways in the Jeremy Stake stories. And he gets involved in this situation where it seems like a really innocent kind of a situation, where where the daughter of a rich businessman who's into um, biotech, she has her uh, her doll stolen, and the doll is like a or- little organic bioengineered entity, and they want to find out who stole the doll, and and so he's got to go look for this girl's doll, but the doll turns out to be because of the technology that was used, it, it turns out to be a, a creature that's going to grow and grow, take on more sent- sentience and power and be this really, like, again, Lovecraftian godlike entity. So he learns that it's not just about getting this doll back, but saving Punktown from, from a, a real profound threat. That sounds good. No pressure or anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think you're going to need to pay me a little bit more. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> So Punk Town's come up a few times now. So uh-huh. can you talk a little bit more about that setting and also, you know, where did the idea of creating such a setting came from? And, and when you first created it, did you know you're going to keep returning to it? Yeah, just for the basics, you know, mm-hmm. for people who are listeners who haven't maybe read it yet. Yeah, I developed it in 1980 was the was the first time it came to me. And it, it was it's it's a weird little story, but I was driving somewhere. I was riding somewhere with my father. And I looked at a, a woman in a, in a neighboring car, and the way her long hair was falling down in her face and the way her eyes were shadowed, it looked like her hair, her long hair was growing out of her eye sockets. <laughs> and for some I've reason, had hair days like that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> a bad uh, eye, eyelash day. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and I don't know what it was that just kind of set up, set something up in my mind that she would be like an a, kind of an alien race where they have long swimming kind of tendrils instead of eyes. And, and that became the Tiki Hodo race from Punktown. They've, they've appeared in a lot of Punktown stories. But from there, for some reason, that just jump-started my imagination. And by the time I got home that day, I already had the idea that I was going to write about this city. It was going to be this melting pot of all these alien races. And I was going to follow all these different stories and avenues. You know, I wasn't going to stick to one linear plot. And I was, it was going to be kind of a social commentary, kind of a, um, a vehicle for satire. You know, not so much a projection of the future, but a kind of a, a distorted view of, of the here and now and, mm-hmm. you know, the eternal human condition. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wrote a number of novels over the years. I didn't have a computer then or even typewriter. I wrote them by hand. Eventually, though, when I started publishing in the small press in the 80s, as I said, I started writing Punktown short stories. And submitting them and slowly they started getting published and then like i said jeff vandermeer approached me and, and said uh, why don't we put some of the, your, these punk town stories together in the chapbook and, the ch- and then he changed his kind of upped it a little bit and decided the chapbook would be a 
a book. And so it's been punk town ever since it's, uh, and again, it's like the Lovecraft stuff. I don't want to get pigeonholed. I don't want to only write punk town, but it is a place that's wide open. Anything can happen there. And so it's a very comfortable place to come back to. I very seldom use the same characters in punk, my punk town stories. The big exception is Jeremy Stake. I've written two novels with him and a couple of short stories and one novella. But the vast majority of the punk town work involves characters who come and go because that's that's that was my vision for punk town. It's kind of like you're you've got this kind of bird's eye view of punk town. You kind of swoop down, look into this window for a while, follow that person, then pull up and swoop down and follow this other person for a while. And that's the approach I like to have. And I like to follow the common people. There there aren't any real messianic kind of superhero save the day, Luke Skywalker's uh, the Neo. The the, the 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 one the you know the cosmic messiah the yeah there's not that kind of and i'm not knocking that stuff that's that's great but it's not what i'm i'm trying to do my people might be working in a coffee shop or they might be working in a bookstore and i follow their story and and that's just the kind of way i like to go with it that's cool <clears throat> i like that concept in a way i mean you, you see it more in shared world settings but like wild cards i always like that because mm-hmm. you have different characters cycling in and out different storylines yeah so how many you might not be able to answer this very easily but like how many novels and short stories do take place in punk town of yours like what if you don't know exact number what percentage or so <laughs> i'm looking on wikipedia let's see because <laughs> I, I bought a few of your books punk town monstrosity and a couple others yeah. but yeah. i was having a, i didn't know exactly which ones are which so i'll go down the list it's not all that long punk town was the first one it was a collection it came out in 2000 Monstrosity was a novel, came out in 2003. Everybody Scream was a novel, came out in 2004. Punktown Third Eye was an anthology, a shared world anthology, where uh, some of my f- friends and, and people I admired wrote their own Punktown short stories. Oh, cool. And uh, Punktown Shades of Grey was a, sh- a collection that I wrote with my brother Scott Thomas, who's also a writer. He wrote half of the stories in that one. Were there 50 or more or less Shades of Grey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, no. I sued that, that book for money. Fifty Shades of Grey in Punk Town. Oh, my God. God forbid. Uh, the next one was Deadstock, a novel, 2007. Blue War, a novel, 2008. Health Agent, a novel, 2008. Actually, that was written in the 80s. Uh, it was in handwritten form. I had to have it transcribed. Uh, Voices from Punk Town was a collection, 2008. Monstrosity came out as an ebook in 2011. Red Cells, a novella in 2014. And my most recent was a collection, Ghosts of Punk Town, from Dark Regions Press in 2014. Um, next year, um, Centipede Press, which is a very prestigious press, they do these big, beautiful, gigantic books. They're going to do like a Punk Town omnibus, which is going to collect most of my Punk Town short stories in one gigantic volume. And I'm going to write a couple of new stories for that, too. That's great. I love omnibuses. Say, yeah. that, say, omnibuses. say that word again. <laughs> it's like omnibuses. Bye. Omnibye. <laughs> and, and I'm really happy, too. There's Beginning in October, around mid-October, there's going to be a Kickstarter for a Punktown graphic novel book called Visions from Punktown. I was approached by a guy named Christopher Taylor, who's done scripts for, for, for publications like Creepy and Eerie. And he wanted to, to script some of my Punktown short stories into graphic novel format. And he's got together this crew of artists you can't believe, fantastic artists. And so this Kickstarter is going to kick off in, in a couple of weeks. 
And I just can't wait to see what, you know, the finished stories, because the stuff they've shown me so far, the art, artwork is amazing. And they're really capturing the spirit of Punk Town, all the, just the, the crazy phantasmagorical imagery, all the, the aliens and so forth. They're doing a great job of bringing that to life. So I'm just so excited that that's going to happen. Oh, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Now, I also heard, or I know that there was an, a uh, Punk Town role-playing game in the works. What's yes. the progress on that? That that was a successful Kickstarter a couple of years ago, and and um, the text is all done for that, and much of the artwork is done, the cover is done, it's beautiful, and there's still some interior illustration work being done, but it's getting closer to, to being released. And it's going to be released by a, a company called Chronicle City. Awesome. <laughs> that's a that's, good name. It's going to be Punk Town. It's Chronicle City. <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> all the role playing games are going to be in city settings. That's what it is. So. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't play role-playing games myself, but people told me Punk Town would be a great setting for that. So, yeah, okay. I think so. There'll oh, be like oh, a punk oh. town and a prep town and a college <laughs> town. town. Well, Why'd you call it Funky Punk Town? town? I like I, Funky Town. Is, I, it, I, is that like the cyberpunk, like the punk? No, type? actually, cy- cyberpunk, uh, um, when, I, when cyberpunk, when I started hearing people say cyberpunk, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I, I the, the name Punk Town in 1980, I guess... From what I researched later, cyberpunk came uh, started being used in 1982. It's funny. You would think that it, that it was the punk rock era that inspired me to call it punk town, but it was the song Funky Town. Woohoo! <laughs> Won't you take me to? Can Funky you believe it? Town. I was working in a shoe factory at the time, and I'd hear the radio in the background over all the machines and everything, and they was and and I would hear that song Funky Town, and I thought they were saying, "Won't you take me to Punk Town?" <laughs> And I thought, and it stuck in my head. And then I, later I found out it was Funky Town, but it was too late. Punk Town was stuck in my head. So that's Well, now what... I, we were getting this ready for some reason, because I've heard it more recently. Uptown Funk kept getting in my head, <laughs> the song. <laughs> now it's going to be Funky Town. Yeah, Funky Town. That's appropriate. So there's a Punk Town TV show. The theme song's going to be Funky Town, right? Yeah. Too. Awesome. Funky Town. And, and, and Lips Incorporated, I think, is the name of the group that sang that song. And I checked their website at once, and they and they and on their comment board or whatever, I I uh, I told them the origins of Punk Town and how they inspired that, and they sent me a Funky Town T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> cool! <laughs> yeah. Do you wear it, or do you have it like hanging up on your it's wall? Too small for my girth. Uh, well, you should just like frame it and have it up on the yeah, wall. I should. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, we have a lot of. People listening who are filmmakers. We or have writers. a lot of people listening. Woohoo! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and a lot of them are writers and filmmakers and such. So we always like to get tips on on the show from the guests. You already touched on us a little bit. So I, I usually like to ask writers, you know, what method of writing do they like like to do best? Uh, like plotting or pantsing, or you know, writing by seat or pants. So, sounds like it, you're a little bit more. It of a sounds pantser. dirty, but it really just means <laughs> by the seat of your pants. I gotcha. <laughs> sounds like pantsing but you did do some plotting and you kind of liked it so yeah so you stand now i still do it i still do it pantsing I, I i still do it organically i like i said for the most i would do is write pages of notes and i don't even do that anymore lately what i do now is i go back a lot and reread what i've already written and so i'm editing as i'm writing and in thinking i, I kind of go more slowly now Part of that is, is is less free time than I used to have, but part of it's also my methods a little bit slower, a little more, a little more. I'm stepping a little more carefully, and that just seems to be an organic evolution in my in my process. 
aside from those three books uh, where it was kind of imposed on me to outline and I, but I did enjoy it. It's just not my natural tendency to, to do it that way. How do you approach writing a short story versus a novel? Write more words. For well, yeah, yeah. That too. <laughs> uh, okay. That's I want to make sure you know. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to, you know, to say it any differently, really. You just got to be more concise. You got to block the scenes out a little bit more. I, I find I have to kind of just try to use the minimum of scenes like, like panels in a, in a, in a graphic story where, you know, I, I can't have a lot of connective tissue here. I've got to show this scene and then, and, and you know, you have to just, in a novel, you have more elbow room. It's nice, you know, but uh, um, short stories are very, very rewarding to write because of that, because you know, you have to really make it count. When it comes to horror stories, I really do think the horror story in general is better served by the short story form. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's more satisfying in the short story form for the most part. And that, so th these days I tend to write short stories more than novels. I have a lot of, I, I, well, I have maybe three or four novels that are kind of stuck at the halfway point. I've just been focusing so much on short stories. I get anthology invitations and so forth. And I haven't, so for, for a few years now, I haven't worked on these novels because I'm just uh, so focused on the short stories. It's probably why like horror movies tend to do, you tend to have a lot more horror movies than you have horror TV shows. It's hard to sustain hmm. the the... Yeah, well suspense said. and and the mystery. I think that's true. I never really, I never really thought about that, but that that does make sense. That uh, that that the best horror stories on TV have been the, like Twilight Zone and um, Thriller and Alfred Hitchcock Presents and so forth. Like it, it, where it's um where it's where you're just getting one story, one short story told in in cinematic form, as opposed to. Yeah, a science fiction show that can that can sustain a plot line from, if only in a loose way, from from episode to episode, you know, with the same characters and so forth. Yeah, you yeah. can fight off an alien invasion for seasons, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, or even like Star Trek, the you know the original one where you know where they didn't really bring back the various aliens like like they did in the other shows with the Ferengi and the Cardassians and so forth, and they bring them back again in, in the in the classic star trek they would be kind of like just a, a whole new world every time except for mm -hmm. the occasion or something like that but it was but you had this cast this 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 five-year mission whatever that tied the, the the series together but yeah in horror you don't really see a whole lot of aside the the rare one i guess you know like uh, i never watched buffy but uh the kolchak oh like, you totally but, should yeah i heard it's good yeah, <laughs> the first season's probably... It's not what I would call horror, though. No, it's... no. The first season's a little lower, more low budget and everything, but it's still really good, and it just keeps getting better and better. Although I wasn't a huge fan of the last season. But, um, yeah, it was good. Especially if you want horror, that, the episode Hush. Hmm. It's awesome. Hush oh. is a very good episode, yes. Is that one of those spooky-looking... The Gentleman, yeah. Ah. And there's actually no dialogue for most of the episode. No kidding. It's it's wild. Those are it's, creepy looking images from that. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's creepy, and the fact that there's no speech, um, mm. they're communicating without actual you know lines through a lot of it, and so it just keeps up this tension. And uh, it, it really, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is such a good. I think show. they got nominated for either Golden Globe or Emmy. Something like that, I yeah. Because they were episode. like, and you know that was a hard sell. He's like, okay, I'm gonna have. An episode of a TV show where people don't talk. <laughs> that's that does that's that is very intriguing. Because because the gentlemen take away 
everybody's ability to speak so that way nobody, no one can hear you scream when they come after you. So. Oh, man. <laughs> and so, like, they can have the complete run of the entire town because no one can call for help. Yeah. Oh, that is spooky. I, and, and did that predate the, the Slender Man stuff? Because oh, yeah. Because that imagery yeah. is very Slender Man-ish. Yeah, it did predate that, yeah. Yeah, uh, it predates it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the series had ongoing was very good, but there were always, you know, those those episodes that just stand out. There was, there was a musical episode. Yeah. Wow. That's why it's not horror, really. Yeah, there's a musical episode. Well, I mean, it had, a, it had like, but, supernatural. But, yeah, if you're going to watch the episode, watch, watch Hush. That's a good one to I don't know, try but, out. But doesn't he have to familiarize himself, really, uh, with the characters? just know that she's Buffy. Okay, she's look up the powers. stuff on Wikipedia. Familiar, so, yeah. Familiarize yourself with the characters. <laughs> then watch Hush. It's on, it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, watch Hush, and then you'll want to watch the rest of the series. <laughs> okay, I love uh, it. That does sound like a, something I'd want to see. That hush sounds brilliant. Now I want to go watch it. It's getting cool. <laughs> That's one of those things like when it's around Halloween, we always watch. <laughs> huh? cool. yeah. So now I'm just thinking about Buffy a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the only one that's really kind of halfway did it is American Horror Story. But that's only like seasons, you know, one season yeah, at a time. Yeah, it's a season. So. Oh, I haven't even seen that. I, I, I almost I... scream. It just had a, a season. Well, we'll see how long. Yeah, we'll see how long yeah, it goes. And I loved the first Scream movie. You know, it came out, was it 96? And Good year. And I, I loved it. I've never seen that. I've never seen any of those Scream movies. Oh, really? see, the, the first one is so good. And then they like, they've done Scream now. It's for a new generation. Oh, is it? And it's a series on mtv mtv right yeah it's on mtv and um the first season's out and it was i was like oh they're gonna recreate a movie you know how it's like you don't want to reboot of something you really liked yeah Um, it was good we've had a ball watching that yeah it's kind of we discovered mtv actually has a couple of okay shows because it turns out it's not music television anymore Because Scream is not too bad, and then so that made us curious about Teen Wolf. So we <gasps> love it. Teen Wolf. Okay. So I don't have a TV anymore, so I'm so out of touch. I don't. Mm, that's why you get so much done. That's why. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I do. I do have Netflix on on the Xbox. Uh, you know, so I I watch movies, but I I'm so out of touch with TV. Once in a while, I catch up on. Um, Walking Dead, I'll have like a Walking Dead marathon, you know, where I just watch episode after episode. But I really, I'm so out of touch with TV. Yeah, bet, Mark's likes Walking Dead. I bet you'll like, uh, well, who knows? But if it's done well, the Mist TV show could be really good. Yeah, that does sound like it has possibilities, you know, that, that uh, you know, that could go anywhere, really. And hopefully they'll do a good job with it. All right. So anyway, we're going to We could just like <laughs> hang out and talk with you about all kinds of stuff. Just, you know, for fun. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So about your, you know, your approach to writing and such, um, do you have any tips on writing you'd like to share with anyone um, that you've learned over the years? The, the one tip that I always like to suggest to people is that they should read wide, widely. They shouldn't read only in one genre. You know, you have so much you can learn from reading outside you know, if you want to be a horror writer, don't just read horror. You know, uh, I, I really think you should try to read as widely as possible. Read classic literature. Uh, you, there's so much, so much I, I've I've taken away from writers who were not horror writers, like Thomas Hardy and Yukio Mishima. And although they wrote the, you know, a few horror stories, surprisingly. Well, Mishima, I can think of one. Uh, it's called Thermos Bottles. 
And Thomas Hardy wrote a couple of stories. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> it, 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 it's very subtly terrifying, you know, and that's the, that that's that was the cool thing about that story. Oh, those are my favorites. So, yeah. so, so subtle. It's just this Thomas Hardy, you know, uh, one of, is one of my favorite writers and, and poets. And he wrote a couple of stories that were like one was called The Withered Arm. Mm-hmm. And the other was called Barbara of the House of Grebe, which is kind of a more of a gothic story. than a Yeah, it sounds story. like it. It's really it's grotesque and and, mm-hmm. and and disturbing, very disturbing, and um, and sometimes you can learn more valuable things from those writers than the people who are associated with horror. You can and it kind of helps you to. That's the kind of inspiration that helps you to to find your own voice, and so you're not consciously or unconsciously aping the people who are, have been successful in your chosen genre before. Mm. Helps you break away from yeah potential cliche. Yeah. 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 Well, and sometimes it it's easy to do. I don't know if to anyone else, but it is to me. If I've been reading one particular genre, particularly one particular writer for a mm-hmm. while, I don't intend to, but it's like I almost start mimicking. Yeah. Like the style, and I I don't know if that's just kind of how you know when you're talking to people with a certain accent, eventually it's like you start kind of mimicking it without really meaning to. Precisely. That, yeah. That's a phenomenon. You know, somebody, it, it's, as, it's as simple as when somebody says, how you doing? And you come back, how you doing? How you doing? And, and, yeah. some, and somebody, and you do, you kind of unintentionally sometimes take on people's mannerisms. I, I even was one time talking to a, a friend on the phone who stutters and I found myself stuttering. And I'm like, he's going to think I'm, I'm mocking him. But it was, yeah. it was like a weird unconscious thing. I think it's it's a an empathy device. It is. It's like neurolinguistic mirroring in in that and they even recommend you know if you're trying to connect with somebody that you mirror their body language and to to help them feel at ease Mm -hmm. you know so there's something to it but uh, most of the time we don't do it consciously unconsciously but you are right that sometimes you you do find yourself unconsciously drawing inspiration from the particular person you're right you're reading right now mm-hmm. so, so that's probably why it's a good idea to read really good stuff you know? <laughs> if I, you're going if you're going to rip someone off rip off someone good yeah rip off somebody good i was recently this within this past year i read uh, cormac mccarthy's blood meridian which is became one of my favorite novels right right away mm-hmm. and uh and i was writing a story at the same time as that and it, it i wasn't in any way um consciously trying to you know but uh, write like that but it was very inspiring. And I found myself kind of lifting myself up maybe beyond the, the kind of comfortable writing I had been doing that I do other times. It kind of challenged me to try to write a little bit more beautifully, you know, and uh, as long as you're not, you know, uh, it, to me, it's a difference between being influenced and inspired. Try not to be influenced, but it's okay to be inspired. Ooh, good advice. Yeah, that's a quote right there. Yeah. <laughs> We talked about a few different authors and works that influenced you a little bit. Is there any other works that influenced you over time that you think um, that you really like and influenced your your worldview? Um, there's probably so many that, and sometimes um, there were some writers who I, I'll read repeatedly, and then there are other writers that maybe I haven't read a lot of their work, but there's but there, a certain book by them will still be a favorite. But somebody I've come back to again and again is Martin Cruz Smith, who who wrote Gorky Park and all those great series about Arkady Renko, the, the Russian detective. Mm-hmm. I will admit that that was a, not just an, an inspiration, but an influence on um, 
my character Jeremy Stake. No particulars, but just the idea of of the the brave detective who you know who's kind of going in the against the odds and and uh, you know he has a you know moral fiber. And uh, I just I love the way um, uh, Martin Cruz Smith writes. He really is masterful at balancing popular writing with literature. He he has a beautiful style. And uh, I just recently, about a year ago, read Graham Greene's The Quiet American, which became right away another favorite novel of mine. And in Graham Greene, I, I, I think I saw, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Martin Cruz Smith were inspired by Graham Greene. It was something about, again, balancing Martin Cruz Smith is great at, at portraying Russia, and 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 in that in Graham Greene's novel, he's he's discussing Indochina, you know, Vietnam, and uh, something about the way the dialogue went and the way that the, the protagonist Fowler in The Quiet American was interacting with people. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit of Arkady Renko's mm. interactions with people. I, it's just mm-hmm. a hunch of mine that uh, Martin Cruz Smith is a fan of Graham Greene. <laughs> <laughs> Any upcoming projects and works you would like to to uh, let people know about? I've been invited to a number of anthologies, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to get some stories written for those. I've had to turn down a couple of anthologies recently. It's just uh, sometimes I overload my plate. Like I said, I've got to write some more uh, another original punk town story or two for that Centipede Press omnibus that's coming out next year. That's uh, the word next, of the day. Yeah, omnibus. <laughs> that's a good name. I suggested they they call it that because they were originally going to call it. The collected no, it was something. The um, it sounded just too too definitive to me. I and I and I said, well, you know, you could come out with that and call it the 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 collected punk town stories. And tomorrow I'd write a new punk town story, and suddenly, you know, it's, true, it's just it's a the, collective. Yeah, it's <laughs> the complete punk town stories. Yeah, and I said, it, it could, there could never be. A, <laughs> You're like, guys, I'm still alive. I'm like, <laughs> there's gonna be some more. <laughs> It'll be tomorrow. It's not, it, it will never be the complete punk town stories. So that's why I suggested a punk town omnibus. And so that's the working title. I don't know if that's going to be what, what, what it will be called. Also next year, I'm supposed to have a collection come out called Haunted Worlds from Dark Renaissance Books. Uh, sometimes, you know, publishing schedules, you know, things get delayed. But it is tentatively scheduled for 2016. And that's a short story collection. And it would be all stories that have not previously appeared in print. I have a, I have a short story in the latest issue of Dark I'm sorry, a Black Static magazine, which can be found on newsstands. I have a, it's a, a novella in, in that magazine. Mm-hmm. And it's set in a kind of a fictitious Southeast Asian country that I've written other stories about. So I'm hoping one day to collect all those into one book. That, that'll be the first published story of, in that setting. What's the country called? Uh, it doesn't have a name, actually. It's called... Mm-hmm. It, it, they're called Tales from Somewhere. Uh-huh. And so, so it's kind of, and I explained in one of the stories that they, they wouldn't didn't want their country to have a name because there had been so many attempts by other countries to conquer them that they decided to, to not use the name for the country anymore, hoping that their country would kind of fly under the radar of other countries and other countries would leave them alone. That's an interesting tactic. So it's kind of a fantastic, it's kind of a, an odd conceit. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange collection of stories. They're not quite horror. They're not science fiction. Some of them have supernatural elements, some don't. I guess the best way to describe them would be to call them weird fiction. But again, they all take place in this Southeast Asian country that's very much inspired by my travels to Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam nine times. Uh, my daughter's half Vietnamese. I love the culture. I love the people. So uh, it's that, that country's very much been an influence on, on that series of stories. And so, like I said, the, the latest Black Static has uh, the first 
one that I've sold, and it's called um, Distinguished Mole. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking, a beauty mark. Oh. <laughs> it, is, it is about a beauty mark, yeah. It You're is. writing about a beauty mark. Yeah, a beauty mark gone awry. <laughs> Well, very cool. I look forward to, to seeing those projects and also the graphic novel Kickstarter and all that good stuff. So, yeah. So before we go, where can our listeners find you and your work online? The best place to find me is on Facebook. I have a, a real Facebook presence, you know, and the, the, I, it's more fun to me to go there than the, my blog has been sadly neglected. But there is I do have an Amazon.com page. Jeffrey Thomas is the whole slew of books there. That, that's the best place to find my work. And so everyone knows it's Jeffrey spelled J-E-F, not the G-E-O. So right, they can right. find you. Yeah. Exactly. And it's F-F-R-E-Y. I can't believe some parents actually name their kids Jeffrey with an E-R-Y. That's an Jeffrey. abomination. Oh, that's an abomination to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wrong. <laughs> there should be a horror story about that. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. I hate that. <laughs> I, I, in in oh. school, like we had in marching band at one point, there were a few Jeffreys, like kind of all in the same section. Yeah. Uh, and so one guy spelled it G-E. So we just called him G-Off or G-Off. Yeah. So that we could, we'd be like Jeff, Jeffrey, and G-Off. <laughs> there are five Jeffrey Thomases at the company I work at. So I'm always getting other people's emails. Oh my gosh. Jeez. That is not convenient at all. <laughs> but on two of my book covers, they, they, the, my name is spelled E-R-Y. And luckily they showed me the mock-up first. And I'm like, if, oh, if, if it comes out like that, don't even send me a copy of it. I don't even want it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm to fix that. So they, you people spell my name. Well, as you can imagine, uh, Mark's, gets, uh, Mark's gets some interesting stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I called him Max once or, or Mark, maybe he corrected me. I'm sorry. He doesn't usually correct people. Usually I do it, but um, he, he's like, I don't care. I'll answer it anything. <laughs> Mr. Pyle. Names. <laughs> Pyle being the name of the quiet American, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking with us. Yes. Thank you. It's been thank so you for fun. having me on. It was a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Tim Wagner, author of The Way of All Flesh and Dark Art, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Jeff for taking the time to chat with us. Check out the show notes for links to his books and the Kickstarter. Now we keep the dark writer theme on our next episode as we chat with dark fantasy author Alan Baxter. So be sure to watch for that upcoming episode. Now, also before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marks' Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at genretainment.com, or follow all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. And you can also find us with other excellent shows on Blog Talk Radio via the League of Geeks network at blogtalkradio.com slash leagueofgeeks. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Bad monkey.